Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I never know what time of day it is when I have a, an opportunity to be with you all. So whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, um, I'm glad to be with you. And it's it really is an honor. And um, I'm it never ceases to amaze me. I was as uh, each of you um, was identifying, listening to all the different countries that are here today. Um, it really brings tears to my eyes. You know, it's real easy here in Nashville, Tennessee. We've been uh, fortunate to um, have had a really strong fellowship for a long time, and we've got lots of meetings, uh, fortunately, every day, uh, virtual and now in person. And I think it's easy to forget that we're not just a group of sexaholics in Nashville or in the U.S., we have brothers and sisters all over the world. And it's just such a, a great reminder to um, be with everybody. Uh, when Natalie uh, gave my topic, uh, it's from one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite sayings in our essay literature, where it's, uh, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. Um, <laughs> and as Natalie and I were talking, I realize sometimes when um, I use phrases um, that might not be familiar with uh, people in different places. And as we talked about the word trudge, um, it's you might not know what it means. So trudge um, means, from my perspective, like you're walking through wet sand or walking through mud. And you know how hard it is just picking your feet up just it really is so so difficult and sometimes in recovery that's exactly what it's like you feel like you just you know are taking two steps forward and one step back it feels like it's just never going to end and so I've decided um, to kind of use that as my topic and so I thought about a word uh, for each of those letters and so for T, I've got tired, R, resentful, U, unbelievable, D, direction, G, gratitude, and E, everything. So as um, one other thing I want to say, just kind of introductory, I can't tell you how excited I am to see the number of women in this meeting. Not to say that I'm not happy to see my brothers uh, in the meeting, and I really do consider each one of you, a brother. But when I came to SA in 93, I was the only woman. I walked into a room full of men and I thought it's all y'all's fault that I'm here. Um, of course, I figured out quickly that was not the case, but it just gladdens my heart because um, I know that if I want to have healthy relationships, 
it's important for me to be in a room of recovering men and women. Um, I, I have to say, um, I'll give a little bit of a disclaimer. It's really frustrating to me when men or women say, oh, no, you can only have men or you can only have women. Half the world are men and half the world are women. And if we can't learn to get together in a healthy way in recovery, how in the world can we ever do that uh, in the rest of the world? So enough of my kind of lecturing. I don't mean to get into that, but it's just, to me, it's very, very important. So um, let's start with T. Um, and I put the word tired. When I came to SA, I was tired. I was tired of not being able to stop. I was tired of crossing boundaries. I was tired of feeling overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And I just know that I finally, thanks to um, a, a former uh, affair partner uh, who broke it off with me, and I ended up, in, thank God, in therapy. And my therapist suggested that I go to essay. Well, after my first meeting, I got a sponsor and started working the steps. And, you know, I think when I started the steps, I thought once I finished the 12 step, everything would be good. I would never have to feel pain again. Well, looking back at a journal from my first uh, year in sobriety, I really had forgotten how much pain I was in. Even um, in recovery, it's hard. You know, it's it's not just the happy, joyous, and free skipping down the road. It's life's hard. And but I've been running from my feelings for so long. And I didn't have, once I started getting sober, I didn't have those ways to cover up um, those hard feelings. In the first, I don't know, probably a month or so in the meeting, I finally started hearing what the readings were saying. You know, at first I just, I was there, but I, I couldn't focus. And then I heard someone read the essay purpose and heard them say that and, uh, the only uh, requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and sexually acting out. And I thought, what in the world is lust? I came to SA to quit having affairs. And the more I heard people talk about lust, it was just kind of uh, amazing. And in the white book, it says lust is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and very patient. And on page 202, it says true sobriety includes progressive victory over lust. You know, it never occurred to me that looking at that cute guy across the room was lusting. And the more I heard people talk about it, the more I realized I was taking from that man. I was taking trying to fill up that empty hole in myself. Um, and so that was just a real awakening and just kind of got me to thinking. I'd been sober about three years and my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Our regular uh, priest was out of town and we had uh, kind of an interim priest. And I wanted 
someone to know my sister um, so that when it came time for her memorial service, uh, they would be able to speak about her. So I invited this priest, really nice man, funny, kind, just wonderful guy. And I just really related to him, as did my sister. A few weeks after he'd come over, um, he called me at work. We both worked in the downtown Nashville area and asked if I'd like to go to lunch at our farmer's market. And I said, well, sure, that'd be great. So that continued for several weeks. I talked about it in meetings that I was glad to have a healthy relationship with a man. And then, um, and people, it wasn't a secret. People at church knew that I was getting together with him for lunch. Um, His wife obviously knew. And suddenly uh, one day he stopped calling, um, didn't respond to emails. And I was crushed. I couldn't figure out what had gone wrong. And it dawned on me, I'd been having an emotional affair with this man. It was such a shock. I just, I I couldn't get over it. Um, And just, it was such an awakening to me that lust really is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And that's not to say that I can't have healthy relationships with men. That's not true. But I had come to depend on this man to feel kind of an emotional need for me. So um, we get down to continuing to recovery and getting sober. And I come to the letter R. And for me, that's resentment. You know, once I stopped acting out, all my character defects started popping up. Two of my biggest character defects are resentment and judgment. I, it's so easy to look at something someone else is doing and being very judgmental about what they're doing or what they're saying. And, um, you know, people are supposed to do what I think they should do. And which reminds me of the reading in a, a big book about how it works and the actor uh, directing the play and it's not going exactly as they want. And resentment comes up. As I was working on my fourth step, you know, doing all the different columns and come looking at the feelings that came up for me, every, with few exceptions, every single one of the bottom line was fear. I feared that people wouldn't think I was smart enough, good enough, you know, all the not measuring up, um, you know, like it says in the problem, My insides never matched what I saw on the outsides of others. I was letting fear rule me. It was keeping me from a connection with my higher power. You know, it talks about a hundred or thousand forms of fear. And when I thought about that, I was like, wow, that's so true. Someone in a meeting one time said that, Like if you're pointing a finger at somebody, you know, maybe not literally, but figuratively, three fingers are pointing back at yourself. And those behaviors that people were exhibiting were things that I didn't like about myself. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow, but it was really true. Because it isn't pretty when you see, realize that the behavior you're being critical of are things that, that I've done. 
Now when resentment comes up for me, I kind of stop and think for a second and realize that either somebody is doing something that I think they shouldn't be doing or doing something that deep down I wish I could do. Uh, and I have to say right now, I, I'm God is giving me many opportunities to practice um, letting go and, and forgiving. Um, one of my favorite sayings is I often get an AFOG moment and AFOG stands for another frequent opportunity for growth. And so during this time of uh, COVID, I'm having many AFOG moments because, um, and not to get into, you know, the political side of it, but for me, because of um, here in the States, people making decisions that I, I feel are having a negative impact on things I want to do. And I want to stay in resentment and anger towards those people. And when that happens, um, this tool came to me. I hurts. Most of you probably have heard of Harvey Asher. And if you haven't go on some of the podcast, he's wonderful. Harvey's been sober. I think 37 years, give or take a, a year or two. And he talks about letting, you know, literally raising his hands and going, God, I'm just giving this to you. So when I'm feeling really angry at somebody, I pray about it. And then I, I literally, if I'm in public, I don't, but in my mind, I'm going, okay, God, I'm giving this person to you because you know, what's best for them. You know, I know in the big book, it talks about the praying for that person to have the things in your life um, that you would wish for them. I don't always know what another person needs. So I figure God does. So I just give them to God. The next letter uh, in the word trudge is you. Uh, and I've chosen the word unbelievable. Many of you who've um, heard me talk before talk about how I really connect with my higher power through nature. Early on in recovery, I was driving home from a meeting and matter of fact, uh, Lee, I was in the Smoky Mountain area and it had been a really particularly hard day for me. And I looked up as I was driving and the sunlight was shimmering on top of the mountains. It literally looked like jewels on top of the mountain. And I thought, wow, I'm seeing God's artwork, God's handiwork shining on those mountains. Because I was able to come back in the moment, I took some deep breaths and I could feel God's presence with me. And I was able to let go of some of those hard feelings. In 1994, uh, I, oh, by the way, getting ready for this, I went back and looked at some old journals from 93 and realized, you know, recovery is kind of hard sometimes. And in 94, I wrote, I want my spirit and soul to fly with the birds, ride in the clouds and touch heaven. I was beginning to see that life had bumps and hills, valleys and riverbanks and 
mountaintops and crashing waves. And so sometimes we're in those different places in our life. That was the year I went to the beach um, for a few days. It was at a beach that um, had no TV, no um, cell phone service, just me and nature. And the beach that I would go down to wasn't like a sunbathing beach. It had just massive rocks where the waves came crashing through. And my first day there, I was sitting and just listening to the waves and two seagulls came and sat down beside me. And they, they weren't, you know, trying to get what I brought to eat. They just sat there. And I thought, well, isn't that sweet? And didn't think much about it. I got back to um, where I was staying and I had a message uh, to make a call to my family and they told me that a good friend of mine had died suddenly. I realized I couldn't get back to Nashville in time for her service. So I decided the day of her service, I would go back to the beach and during the time and just meditate. That day I got down, it was really windy. So I sat between two big rocks and the weirdest thing happened. The seagulls came one sat on either side of me. I, I would think I had made that up in my mind if I hadn't written about it, because that just seems too bizarre. It just seems too bizarre. But, but they did, and they stayed with me until I left. And so for me, nature is a good touchstone to see. Um, that's my touchstone for my higher power. If I get really upset, and I told sponsees, if you're feeling really crazy, um, look outside, look at a cloud, look at a flower, because it brings me back into the moment. Uh, the next letter in trudge is D, and I chose the word direction. I'm not a particularly good person at following directions. I don't like rules unless they're rules that make sense to me. You know, my, my rules make sense. But... I heard people in meetings talk about listening to their sponsor and doing what their sponsor told them to do. And I thought, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Maybe, you know, she's been around, she's sober. Okay, I'll do that. And one of the things she told me early on was to stay in the moment one day at a time. And I said, well, but how can you do that when you have to plan for meetings or, you know, events coming up? And she said, well, you make your plan and then you set it aside and you don't worry about it or you don't think about, well, this is what happened in the past. You make your plan, you set it aside, and then you come back to the moment. Not long after that, I had a chance to put that in practice. Um, I was going to be doing a presentation about an hour before my brain was just going crazy. I was just all over the place. And I thought, you know, I've, I can't do this. I've got to focus. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to set these crazy feelings over here. I'm going to come back to them tonight, but for now I'm putting them here. It was like a weight had been lifted off of me. It just was remarkable. I felt lighter. I was able to do my presentation. It went well. That night I sat down and wrote about my feelings 
And when I do journaling like that, I always end with, God, I'm just giving these feelings to you. And so I don't know how things like that work. You know, I guess if we knew, then perhaps we wouldn't need a 12-step fellowship and we wouldn't need each other. But I do know that listening and being in the moment is what makes sense to me. Um, The other thing that I like to do is to bring myself back into the moment is to check in with your five senses. Again, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but when my, my brain is crazy, I want to connect with my higher power and I can't do that. Um, my, my form of meditation is breathing. I don't sit still very well. Some people I know can sit still for a long time, not me. Um, I'm getting Five better. Minutes, but, Priscilla. Okay, thanks, Natalie. Um, so breathing helps. Gratitude is G. Gratitude, gratitude. Why would you stay sober if you're going to stay in a negative place? What's the point? And my sponsor told me to write down things I was grateful for. I thought it was silly, but I did. It works. And I'll end with um, the letter E. And the word I chose was uh, everything. Now, I don't mean everything from a monetary or uh, wishing that you had everything in the world. I mean, everything is a life that's richer than you can even imagine. I don't have to worry about keeping my story straight, who I've lied to, um, feeling guilt because I slept with somebody's husband. Today, my life is ever so much better. Today, I've got choices. Um, If you don't know, in the white book, there's um, towards the back a section called How I Overcame My Obsession with Lust. Uh, Some people call it the 18-wheeler. If you're having trouble staying sober, it gives great advice. The main thing is don't isolate. Connect with people. It's a we program. Hearing, experience, strength, and hope. Please, please, please go to meetings. Talk to people. Don't isolate. One of the good things that um, about COVID, as I mentioned, is getting to see people from all over the world and having that connection with everybody. I love being with you all, and I just want to leave with my final thoughts is don't quit until the miracle happens. Thank you guys so much. Uh, oh, and by the way, in um, I grew up in Indiana in the Midwest. And so when I say guys, that was just an expression um, in the Midwest that meant everybody. In, uh, in the South, it's thanks y'all or all y'all. So I'm glad to be with each one of you and appreciate having a chance to share. Thanks. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you thanks. so much. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to see. I see somebody ask about what was D, and that was direction. Taking direction from my sponsor. Hi, everyone. Hi, Priscilla. Thank you for here, Carolina, sexaholic from Madrid, Spain. Thank you for for your sharing. It was really 
I couldn't hear everything joined for the beginning, but just say thank you. I always end my I the the, um, the sentence I love in the program is "Don't quit until the miracle happens." I love this. <laughs> I have one question for you. Uh -huh. uh, what did you do with your hundreds or fears or fears of fears? Um, <clears throat> did you say what do I do with my fears? Yes. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I, I acknowledge that I have the fear. And then I look at what is the fear about? What, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid that people won't care about me? Um, and then I write about it. Um, I pray. And I just, um, you know, a fear is just, what's the word? Um, false. Oh, I know. The uh, acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. You know, fear is just something we build up in our head. And it generally for me is worrying about something from the past or something in the future, meaning I'm not staying in direct contact with God. So praying about it, talking with people, you know, getting out of my head is what helps me with the fear. I don't know if that helps or not, but that's kind of what works for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Yanis? Actually, Yanis, sexaholic. Uh, thank you again, Priscilla. It was good to hear you. Uh, second time this week. Uh, Thanks, Yanis. I wanted to thank you that, uh, for something you mentioned uh, at the convention, and that was uh, to, to say three things that you like about yourself each day. Mm -hmm. And we've added that to the um, the daily sobriety renewal, me and my uh, DSR partner. Oh, and that's we're great. Find, we're finding it really tough each day, but really <laughs> quite amazing. Um, my, my question for you is, uh, how do you discern the next right action? Wow. Um, well, in the moment, um, <clears throat> I... I I make every effort to try to just stop and breathe and not make a quick response. Um, <laughs> and I call somebody. If it's something I have to do right away, I try to pause. And something I've learned to say is, you know, let me get back to you on that. Or if it's somebody who's saying something that I totally don't agree with, I often say, I hear what you're saying, and we're going to have to agree to disagree and don't get into a big battle with people. I mean, if somebody's diametrically opposed to what I believe, I'm not going to change their mind. So the next right action for me is to end the conversation and walk away uh, as graciously as I can. And so, But if I've got some time, then... I'll say, I'll get back to you and talk with my sponsor or someone else in the program. Because I sure don't know. I think you all have probably heard that another acronym is for God is good orderly direction. So listen to other people. It's what works for me. 
Thanks, Janice. Katrin? Thank you, Natalie. Hi, uh, Priscilla, Kathleen, again. <laughs> Good to see Good to you. See you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your share. And um, today I have the question. Um, when you shared about the emotional um, affair, yeah, it, it really hit me. Um, I think I also had emotional affairs in the past. But I really wonder, you know, what is like a sober, normal interaction? <laughs> like, I don't know, the question in itself, it really it, it sounds ridiculous, but what is a sober, normal interaction with men if I could have a friendship on a sober basis or something? And and I, it seems to me that I have to discuss every single contact there is between me and a man in SA with my sponsor, because I cannot define or find out, is this right or wrong? I have no idea. Thank you. You know, that, that's a great question um, because I really did think this relationship was just a good friend. What if I'm, if I'm constantly thinking about somebody of kind of making plans of all the wonderful things we're going to do to do together, that's telling me that it's probably not the most healthy relationship. Uh, one of the things that I found and believe is that I think relationships start off just as friends, getting to know people, hanging out with a group of people, hanging out with somebody, not seeing them as somebody that as to date, but somebody to get to be a friend with. And so I think if you can see somebody as just a friend, it's much easier to not think of them in a romantic way. That That's helped me. <sighs> And talking to other people, obviously, keeping don't not keeping secrets. Thank you, Priscilla. Dina. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's this is a great topic what you're on right now, Priscilla, and it's something that has been uh, a, a troubled troubling area for me, and um, in, in the the question at the end is always, well, does that mean that there's never a romantic relationship to be in my life for the rest of my life? That uh, every uh, interaction with a woman has to be just uh, suspect, worse than suspect, just avoided because I've been such an incredible liar and deceiver uh, most of my life. And, you know, my sponsor is, has definitely convinced me uh, over the last couple of years that uh, I can really not be trusted at all, no matter how nice a guy I think I am. But it does beg the question, you know, uh, I can't ever, does the point ever come where I can actually, I mean, I've learned quiet love is lust blind. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Dana. Um, you know, the, the quick answer to your question is um, there are many men and women in recovery who have dated and have sub subsequently married. Um, and I think that's, we have, I have to remember that it doesn't mean I can never have a relationship, that I can never be in a romantic relationship. 
I do know that of the people that have dated um, in recovery, um, it hasn't been, I'm dating somebody and, oh my gosh, I I love this person so much and we're going to get married right away. I think it's relationships that start out as friends with not seeing somebody as a date, seeing somebody as let's go hang out with a friend. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's challenging. We're sexaholics. You know, I talk with sponsees and, and they'll go, you know, I really, I like this guy. And, you know, think about it. It's kind of like, well, that's pretty normal. It's just when you obsess in your head, that's all you can think about. So I do think it's possible to date and get to know people and have a healthy relationship that might end up in marriage. So I, I've heard people say, oh, people never get married. Or if you are married, it's never good. And that's a lie. That's just a lie. I do know people that live in healthy relationships in marriage. They don't, you know, it's not perfect, but everybody has problems. I don't know if that helps or not, but. Yes, it does. Thank, thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey, Priscilla. I, uh, I raised my hand to uh, ask Sangeeta's question from the chat. Okay. Um, the question is, hello, Priscilla. You said you had to break up with a good man in the beginning, and that brought you to therapy. But after you started walking in recovery, have you ever felt bitter about the timing of the lost relationship? Like, if only I, if only my sex had met me in my recovery, I wouldn't have lost him. That's a question. Uh, no, because once I got in recovery, I realized what an unhealthy relationship it was. I mean, he was a married man. I manipulated him into... And that's what he said. And he was right. I manipulated him into an affair. And so, no, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm, you know, occasionally I think about him and, um, but it really, to me, his breaking up with me was such a gift because that led me to, to end a recovery. I will say, I'll back up on that. I was married for 11 years and I'm the one Um, who requested the divorce. Um, and I never really had opportunity to make direct amends to my ex-husband. And sometimes in my little addict brain think, if only we'd I'd known about SA and if only we could have, you know, sat down and, you know, worked through recovery together. But, you know, that's the past. The relationship didn't work. Today I can learn to, um, <laughs> um, you know, I just have, to, I can't live in the, I don't want to live in the past. I can, but I don't want to. So, but yeah, no, I don't with that person. Uh, I, I wish him well and hope that his, um, that his marriage is going well. And I just saw a funny chat. I don't know if everybody saw it from Luke. It's like asking if our dog would be a cow, we could milk her. If the past would be different and in the future, then <laughs> that's that's great. I love it. It is a great <laughs> Flemish expression, people. Belgium is great. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. That is a, that's great. Thank you, Luke, for down. sharing our culture. <laughs> that's so funny. I had not heard that. Um, next one is Igor. 
Thank you for your story, Priscilla. Um, you said we can make two steps forward and one step behind. Right. I just started my way just last week. And my main problem that I'm objectifying, I'm, I'm gay and I'm justifying other men on the streets. At the same time, I have amazing relationship with my boyfriend and amazing sex. So I satisfied in this area. But anyway, I look around constantly. I can't be relaxed. And since I started to work, I feel like I suppress myself. Don't look, control yourself. Don't do this, don't do that. And it affected my sexuality with my partner. Maybe this is exactly what you told me, what you told us. It's like I made two steps forward and I'm coming back. And um, have you experienced something like this? Um, maybe um, this back and forth could be solved somehow. What's your experience in this? What's your steps, two steps forward and one back? Thank you. Um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think that's just an example of, uh, I used to get really tired of all the essay expressions, but to me, this is a good one is it's progress, not perfection. You know, progress, if you've taken two steps and you go one back, well, you're still one step ahead. So I think the fact that you've got awareness of the situation um, and, you know, I think, at least for me, I'm always going to look. I, I can't help. That's just who I am. What I can do is that that first look is kind of go, okay, God, I'm giving that person to you and then start focusing on something else. Because if I take that second look, that's going to just keep drawing me in and I'm going to start going down the rabbit hole. And so I think it's just practice. I think it's praying. I think it's talking with your sponsor. Um, and I think it's just willingness. <clears throat> um, I, I used to pray that God would take my addiction away from me. And I realized once I got in recovery, God couldn't take it away because I was holding on to it so tightly. I just couldn't let go. And once I was willing to let go, then it's not perfect, but it gets a little easier. So I just encourage you, you know, if you take that first look, you know, that's we're normal. It's when that second look happens, you know, or you keep thinking about the other person. So it's just a matter of continuing just to pray and, and, and working the steps. If you haven't started working the steps, I encourage you to get a sponsor and start working the steps. At a meeting one time, I said, I don't know how to start my first step. And Harvey Asher said, you just start writing. So if you haven't started working the steps, this is a good time. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. People with less than 30 days of sobriety can ask a question too. Um, buddy, you're in the next one with more than 30 days, but... <laughs> Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you, Natalie. Um, Priscilla, early in your share, you mentioned about the women in SA and the men in SA. And that rubs me the wrong way. Okay. My very first desk meeting I went to was a woman speaker. She shared my story. 
until I walked through that door, it never occurred to me that there would be women in this fellowship. Because she shared my story, it convinced me there was hope for me. Mm-hmm. My home group that I, I found said they were going to have a meeting about letting women in. And I looked at everyone like, what do you mean letting women in? What do you think? This is for men only. And, and that whole topic does rub me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like we have that pamphlet, men and women and men. And that's all of this, because if not for the women, I want to come back. Mm-hmm. And I mean that because most of my emotional stuff I deal with is stuff that women identify with. Mm-hmm. And it can really be touchy with me. My wife admits she's the man in our marriage. Hmm. Um, so as I said, it's not a resentment. It's just kind of a very touchy area. And the, the, the real clear thing needs to be made is that when an obsession for another human being starts to create problems, it's not. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, just, just I, I, I have to finish this because all of my friendships are emotional based. Mm-hmm. That's the connection is on the emotional, spiritual level. Without emotion, there would be no friendship for me. Thank you. That's all. Mm-hmm. Thanks, buddy. I like having men and women together because I think men and women process things differently. And so I think men see, a lot of men see things as a problem solving and women, I think sometimes see things from an emotional perspective. So hearing a man's perspective is really helpful to me. And so I think that's why I'm so in favor of meetings being open to anybody. So thanks. Thank you. Lee? Hi there. Priscilla, thank you so much. It was great to hear your story. Thanks, Lee. I I agree 100% about mixing meetings. In 1986, there weren't about about six of us, and there was men and women, and they were wonderful meetings. Uh, Nothing was inhibited. I was a bit chagrined when it uh, evolved into the way it became. Uh, and I am uh, on your topic. I really like it. Uh, Bill wrote the vision for you a month before he wrote how it works. So uh, it came before the steps. And uh, I, it, he knew where he wanted to go. He was inspired to get there, but he hadn't written down how to do it yet. Uh. And I look now and I see it as an inspiration to do the steps. So it's good to read it first. And I loved it being read uh, in our early essay meetings. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were really good. So that's just an observation. I don't know if it's inspiring like that to you. It is. It It is. But that it was for me. It made me want to do the steps. That's great. Thanks, Lee. That's, That's all. Um, there is time for one more question. So I would like to ask Priscilla 
if you can stay after the meeting and the rest of the questions we can maybe do in the parking lot. Sure. Okay. I can stay for um, about 10 or 15 minutes after. Okay. Thank you, Priscilla. Sure. Um, Doa, you can have the last question. Uh, hi everyone. Uh, hi Priscilla. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm I'm really so grateful for being here today, listening to your story. Uh, I actually I just joined uh, SA um, week ago, and I attended many meetings uh, every day. And I, actually, I don't know if denial is an integral part of the experience of discovering being adapted um, or not. But the state of denial is what I'm now in. Um, I, I have a lot of thoughts that makes me that I should escape from um, this environment uh, full of many addicts. Um, while in the same time, I feel that um, I'm very attached to all the thoughts and feelings that are brought up in the meetings. And I don't know if, 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 uh, if, if um, I don't know if, if you went through this experience or not experience of denial or not but i would be grateful to to hear your experience and your reply to this um this situation i i, I think is your question that i did i go through some denial about being a yes. sexaholic okay yeah. no there was no question in my mind i i none i i knew because i i wanted i kept crossing boundaries i I kept, I start off with emotional affairs and then I started with uh, having um, affairs with married men. It just kept getting worse. So that's, I, I was desperate when I went to SA. And so sometimes I think you have to hit a bottom before you are really ready to kind of go, oh yeah, this connects. And so I encourage you to, you know, go back and read in the problem, um, read in essay literature and keep going to meetings you know you don't you don't have to um get it right now i mean just hang hang in there and keep coming back i would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for essay members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.